Good afternoon and welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. Another extended edition here. We're with you for the next three hours as we set up the Toronto Blue Jays in an American League wildcard series. Season ended yesterday. Jays finished 92 and 70, one game better than last year, half a game worse than their over under before the season, as a lot of you let me know. They will draw the Seattle Mariners. They'll play three at home, all at Rogers Center, four o'clock Friday, four o'clock Saturday. Um, right now, scheduled for two o'clock Sunday if necessary, but that one could bounce around a little bit. We've got a loaded show for you today. Before we bring on our first guest, though, to preview the Mariners, um, as a heads up, today is workout day down at Rogers Center. So uh, this is the loan off day before the playoffs get going. There will be uh, media availabilities throughout the afternoon. We will be bringing you audio from that, um, not live, but we'll be giving you the best the best of kind of throughout the show. Uh, so stick around. We're expected to hear from Ross Atkins, from John Schneider, from Alec Manoa. Uh, so we'll have that for you between now and five o'clock. We'll have JD Bunkus on in a little bit to go deep on the Jays side of things. A mini betting preview as well. Ben Clemens coming on later, Cam Sharon. Uh, but right now, who better to help us tee up the Mariner side of this Jays Mariner series than a gentleman who we've brought on a bunch of times throughout the year uh, for Mariner stuff, for Jay's stuff, for general pitching analysis. It's Mikey Ahedo of Baseball Perspectives, of Never Sunny in Seattle, um, of Anakbayan, Seattle. Mikey, how are you, man? I'm I'm so happy that you shouted out AB Seattle. Um, I'm great. It, I can't believe it happened. We're here. Yes, we. I think the very first time you came on this show, we both were like, uh, yeah, it'd be cool if... If this ends up being the matchup now, the Mariners are maybe a little too good. And I take that back to a small degree. Um, But before we get into those specifics, where's your excitement level for the playoffs in general? I know this has been a long time coming for, I know you're an analyst first, but you're a Mariners fan. This has been, this has been a minute. It's, it's wild. Um, You know, I, I was seven ish when uh, the last time I made the playoffs. And like, I think a lot of those feelings come back. Um, I will say it hasn't quite set in. Um, I was in New York city when they clinched. It was like, it was like two, one or 2 AM. Uh, and I, I just felt like so disconnected from it. Um, so I'm like, I'm really excited, but I don't think until I'm at, and we'll talk about this, but like at T-Mobile, uh, park on Friday, like, I don't, I don't think it'll be real. So right now it's like, it's in between. Can I ask? Um, so say this was a scenario where there was still a one game wild card or they had decided this is the format, but the wild card games will just be one game. Would that have like counted to you or, or felt like it counted to you when it comes to breaking the, the postseason streak? I feel like it's almost like a an asterisk in my heart, mm-hmm. you know, if that would have happened. Um, and to be honest with you, I... I I would have loved to play Cleveland, hmm. but had the Mariners been in the third wildcard spot, I think in the back of my mind, I would have said, you know, they wouldn't have made it last year. Yeah. The um, reason I ask is that the Jays made the expanded playoff field in 2020 and they were bounced so quickly that I, like almost nobody here 
like you never hear it come up as a playoff appearance. Everyone always goes back to the 2015, 2016 Mm -hmm. years. Uh, So that's why I was curious. You mentioned T-Mobile Park. Um, The Mariners Mm -hmm. doing a very cool thing after this extended playoff drought where you guys are going to be able to watch the game on that enormous video board um, as visiting fans. How much are you looking forward to that? It, it is, it's such a cool experience. Um, I'm trying to remember, I went, I feel like maybe around 2016, I don't remember exactly why they did it. It might've been like opening day. I remember Felix was starting. So I think it was like opening day, just away. Um, but it's such a cool environment. And like, you know, it's fun to like go to, I don't know if y'all have Buffalo Wild Wings up there, but like go <laughs> somewhere like that and be in an environment where other people are watching where like you're not quite, at the game, obviously, but it's it's it creates like that kind of playoff environment, and and that was opening day, so you know, um, and I the, the Mariners do a really good job, you know, if if nothing else, they do a very very good job at doing you know the kind of promotion um, kind of things, um, and so I think that they'll have it pretty packed. Last time, I don't know how many people were there, um, but it it's it's a really 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 cool thing. Well, I'll tell you this. I know it holds about 48,000 for baseball normally. Um, I don't know if you can use, if they're going to let people, you know, sit on the sit on the field, put out some, some camping chairs or whatever. Uh, but that same venue held almost 55,000 for WrestleMania, uh, WrestleMania 19 back in the day. So uh, you can pack in even <laughs> more than, than 49,000. And I believe that enormous video board has been updated since then, right? Like, like um, I know you guys have that giant video screen and I, I was talking to my boss today, actually. I was like, like not counting our chickens, but say the Jays go on, like, should we look at this? There's a giant screen at Rogers Center too. And that's also a 47 right. to 49,000 person stadium. No, it's a great thing. I mean, I connect with your people, make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't have that kind of, uh, that kind of stroke, but we'll see if, uh, I mean, are you guys posting a bunch of pictures and videos from how good that is? Like, like everyone in Toronto, the most recent memory of something like that is the Raptors have had Jurassic park forever, where the fans gather outside of, uh, the arena. And oh. during the playoff, during the championship run that ended up, I think there were 20 plus of them across Canada. Um, you know, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can get that going. Um, So, Mikey, we don't know yet if you guys are going to get a home game. The way this playoff series works is all three in this round are in Toronto. So if Seattle can't beat Toronto two out of three times, you guys won't get a home game. Um, You know, the the Jays fans obviously feeling the the same thing, but at least they get one or two or they get two or three at home. Um, So let's preview this series. Let's see just how coin flippy this is, because any three game baseball series feels coin flippy. Um, but give us the Coles notes on the Mariner season, 90 and 72 uh, top 10 in offense, top 10 in ERA. Where is your confidence level heading in with them? What's the story with the Mariners? Listen, I'll, I'll tell you, like it, it does not feel like they have a top 10 offense, like just based <laughs> on, um, you know, I think, I think one of the things with the Mariners is, they're they're kind of top heavy, um, and I guess that's I guess that's true. I mean, mostly on their on offense. I, you might be able to say that about their rotation. Um, I guess not so much anymore. Um, but they're so 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 streaky, and I think that's going to inform a lot of what we talk about today. Um, because you have guys like Cal Raleigh, and like you know, he goes up to the plate 
one fifth of the time he gets a hit, you know, <laughs> and he doesn't walk a ton. But that one fifth of the time, oftentimes, um, you know, an extra base hit, uh, you know, a double or a home run, and so he's a, he's a pretty good hitter. But that's not that's not necessarily you know the type of of bat that that really you know um, uh, projects well I guess in in a series like maybe Cal Raleigh hits five home runs <laughs> in three games maybe he goes over um, I think either are entirely you know reasonable outcomes um, and I so I think that's I think that's a, a lot of what the Mariners dealt with throughout the season it's like a, a, you know a lot of injuries that. Uh, to really keep players to Ty France to Julio, and they managed to really buckle down and and grind through a lot of that. Um, you know, however they made it happen, um, despite you know the lack of depth, they had players show up. Um, you know, and and like Sam Haggerty and like Dylan Moore and Taylor Trammell, You know, had had a couple dingers. Um, so really, you know, succeeded in. Um, you know, strong pitching, whether it's it's uh, the starting rotation, uh, the bullpen, like mm-hmm. Jordan Schusterman of uh, Cespedes Barbecue wrote an article about the Los Bomberos, the Los Bomberos, <laughs> Los Bomberos. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it, but Paul Seawald, well, even him, he's really the only reliever that, spent most of the year with Seattle last year. And even then, it was probably two months until he was called up. Uh, Diego Castillo, you know, was was um, acquired at the deadline. Andres Munoz, I don't think, pitched until the last game of the, the season and didn't look very good. So um, just, like, honestly shocking <laughs> uh, to see them really repeat what they did last season. Um so I think that I think that's kind of the you called it Cole's notes. Yeah, is that like Cliff notes? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't know if that's a Canadian brand of it or what. But uh, I don't know. It must be, yeah. I don't know how that uh, how that works. There's student guides in. Can- I just googled it. It is a different thing. Cole's notes are published in Canada, okay. um, and th- because there used to be a chain of bookstores here called Cole's. So there you go. Oh, okay, okay. So that that was a high level. That's a snapshot. And I, of course, want to talk about Los Bomberos uh, a little bit more over the course of, of this hour with you. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Andres Munoz wanted to be a fireman when he grew up. And now that's kind of become the Mariners bullpen identity that they come in and put the fires out. So uh, we're going to talk about Munoz in a little bit, uh, especially that slider. That is one of the absolute best pitches in baseball um, statistically. And if you're one of those people who likes to look at pitching ninja on, uh, on Twitter and see the the pitches overlaid, Um, but let's stay on the offense first, Mikey. Um, You said it doesn't feel like a top 10 offense. Now, part of that might be, T-Mobile Park. So this is a team that when I say top 10 in offense, they ranked eighth by weighted runs created plus, which adjusts for park factors and a number of other things to put everyone on the same scale. But they were 18th in runs. So that's that's a big gap for WRC plus ranking versus runs ranking. And some of that is ballpark. But some of that, I think, is what you were getting at with the streakiness or the boom or bust nature of certain bats. And it's that not all hits and extra base hits are created equally and timing is a a real thing. It's something that the Jays have dealt with throughout the year. Now the Jays 
feel like they're in a good spot offensively heading into the postseason, but they have dealt with their share of, oh, there's going to be two weeks where they can't hit with runners in scoring position or things like that. Um, you used Cal Raleigh as a, a kind of a bellwether for that with this team. Is there a team-wide, you know, bit of a situational hitting issue for the Mariners? I mean, last season, uh, it's really interesting because last season was one of the, like, <laughs> one of the clutchest, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of hitting seasons by a team in a really long time, like maybe ever. Um, and I think I think it's funny because it, it might be the, the largest disparity between actual talent and, like, uh, <laughs> you know, production in, in the last maybe three innings. Um I definitely think I definitely think there's something to it, you know. Um, I I think just the the nature of the guys that they have, um, and I think part of it too is, you know, when you have guys that walk a lot, um, they are going to be this kind of streaky kind of hitter because their walks. I don't know how to explain it. Like otherwise, if they were good hitters and they walked a lot, they would be elite hitters, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have guys like Carlos Santana, you have guys like, uh, kind of Cal Raleigh who doesn't, you know, walk especially, you know, a ton, uh, or like Jesse Winker, you know, um, who was an elite hitter, at least against righties. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know how to like quantify it. No, I, let, I, to, I, I might have a way you know. for you here. So um, oh, I, I think what you're getting at is that, you know, a, a walk is a good outcome next to an out. A walk is a good outcome in a lot of plate appearances, but in a high leverage situation in, and this is something I've heard pitchers talk about in the past that they don't mind their walk rate going up in the playoffs because you're worried about things like pitch count and how deep into a game you're going and things like that a little bit less when the leverage of each plate appearance is up, you're maybe a little more okay giving up a walk if you're a pitcher. And I'd imagine that that is the same in leverage spots over the course of the season. So I think part of what you're getting at here is the Mariners with runners in scoring position this year, seven, 17th in batting average, but second in on-base percentage, and then 17th in slugging percentage. So they did a really good job getting on base, but not necessarily, um, wow. you know, continuing that rally and doing damage with the situation. Certainly taking advantage of pitchers being more careful with runners on base, but maybe not capable or, or willing to you know change and be a little more aggressive and, and try to jump on things for the big inning does does that seem like a, a fair way of of contextualizing it oh for sure i i mean did you watch that insane game against the yankees when the game went like 14 yes. innings or something like that like it it just felt like you know every like people would come up and it's like oh hanniger's up like this game it might be over and he like pops out or, you know, he walks or whatever. And that, I mean, that totally sounds right. And that's what it feels like is even, you know, the other day, or I, I actually think this was last night. It was the same thing. It was like, Oh, Ty France is coming up and Ty France. I, I don't think there are many more players that come up and you're like, this guy's going to put the ball in play. Um, and he's probably going to dump it into, you know, just over the second baseman or whatever. And I think he walked. <laughs> so, and that's that's also the thing of of not having you know guys 
I think you know lineup prote- protection is 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 flawed is, is a flawed kind of way of thinking in many situations. But when you don't have like Giancarlo Stanton behind you and you have like Dylan Moore coming up next, it's like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna miss you know off the plate to Ty France. Um, so totally, I totally think that's you know on the head. Okay, well let's uh, let's look at some ways that this series could go well for Seattle, and we'll stay on the hitting side for now. And I think, you know, the most obvious way, especially if you are a more casual baseball fan and you've only been paying, you know, passing attention to a West Coast team that isn't on your your TV in normal hours a lot. Uh, Julio Rodriguez is probably the breakout star in Major League Baseball this year. 28 home runs, 25 stolen bases, hit 284, uh, a 146 WRC plus, so almost 50% better than average hitter. Um, He is the whole package, and he is a tremendously exciting player. Um, Other than his section at T-Mobile Park having a very unoriginal name, J-Rod Squad. Um, What has the Julio Rodriguez experience been like? This guy's only 21 years old. It feels too early for him to be in this big a spot and, you know, potentially looking down like a sentence like, oh, if the Mariners are going to win this series, Julio Rodriguez has to be the best player in the series. But that, it feels like he's there already at 21, Mikey. I oh I think so for sure. I mean, and I didn't I you could probably find quotes from me last year, two years ago, definitely, uh, where I said you know Kalnick is 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 easily the you know the the more sure thing. He's the higher floor player. Uh, boy, has that just turned out to be <laughs> false. And obviously, like you know, he got faster, which is just a hilarious thing. You know. Um, that is probably the hardest skill to improve or teach other than, you know, maybe bulking up and, and trimming down, whatever. Um, but he just did it. He just willed himself to do it. And uh, I mean, it, it really does feel like probably, I mean, even since Ichiro, like I think Ichiro is, is along with, with Gwen Jr., like one of the most unique players of all time. And yet... It seems like Julio goes past that. Like it, it seems like he's at least the best player that they've had since. Uh, let's see, A Rod technically, uh, hmm. I think was after Griffey, like a, a year maybe. So A Rod, like A Rod and Griffey, I think that's kind of the the. And I don't want to, you know, I I think he already has expectations. Um, I don't need to to you know increase those anymore. Uh, but already, you know, he's, he's barely able to drink and he's posted a five war season. Um, and that's not even in, like, he got hurt. He got hit in the hand. Um, and, and I don't remember what the other injury was, honestly, but has spent time away. So it's like, you know, maybe we're looking at a a six war season in his debut. Um, and already, yeah. uh, Posting really unique statistics where it's like, yeah, he's the first player to ever have this combination of whatever in Mariners franchise history, and I think in MLB history. If um, you're uh, if you're a so, Jays yeah. fan and you're wondering what that's like, well, keep in mind. So any Mikey, anytime like you see this stuff. 
about, you know, the Guardians are the youngest team or Adley Rutschman did all this. Jays fans love to point out, oh, by the way, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk, Alec Manoa are younger than all those guys. Right. Like, this is still a very Jeez. young team. You've got like three or four years left of that with Julio Rodriguez where you, you could just be like, yeah, well, he's also two, three years younger than the top prospects <laughs> in baseball. Um, it's pretty remarkable. Right. So Julio Rodriguez will lead off. He'll play center field. Um, you know, the Mariners will obviously hope that three games was enough to get him back to where he needs to be. He'll have the middle of the order behind him pretty set. Ty France, Mitch Haniger, Eugenio Suarez. Um, we'll see how it shakes out from there. But one of the names in the bottom third of the order that I wanted to ask you about is a guy you just mentioned in Jared Kelnick. Um, big, big prospect. Was with the team twice this year. Got sent down both uh, both times after pretty a pretty unspectacular April and May. He goes down. He comes back up late July. Right back down after. I don't think he. I don't know if he got a hit over that stretch. And then he comes back yeah. in late September. And the numbers aren't otherworldly or anything. But he had a couple moments and a couple of games where it looked like maybe something was starting to click for him at the plate. Um, is your confidence level in Kelnick at this point enough for him to be penciled into your game one lineup, even with Julio Rodriguez back? Yeah, I think um, I think the process is, has, it seems really, you know, a lot better to me. And um, that's what it's been since last year is, is, Again, you can find, you can Twitter search me, and and hmm. a lot of what I focus on is like, and shout out to to Esty Rivera of Fangraphs, who I think you had on the other day, yeah. um, uh, wrote an article about Kelnick and about how you know he he is taking you know he is progressing, and I think that's true. Um, it's funny, you know, we I think arrived at kind of different, um, well, the same conclusion, but from you know different process, whatever. I always thought, you know, Kelnick was at his best when he had a lot of movement in his hands. Um, because as a hitter, like at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is, is create tension, um, almost like a rubber band. And so you need to have your upper and lower half synced up. And, and there are many, many times where Kelnick hasn't. And so I thought that, you know, the, the, the hand getting some movement in there kind of um, helped with the swing rhythm and, and really sync things up to be able to, to build up that tension and fire to the ball. More recently, he's, he's really quieted down his hands, um, and, and done that anyways. And that is kind of, and I trust, you know, I trust Esty over me, you know, <laughs> 10 times out of 10. Well, so I mean, he if, was like, just you know. a college player like a week ago or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like I didn't play college ball. Um, so, you know, if if he's more excited about that than than you know I was about whatever else, I'm I'm really excited to see you know him start with that and and start with mechanics that like seem sound and seem like they would portend you know strong results. Then there's also that he's barreled the ball. I think his barrel barrels per plate appearance is like eleven or twelve percent since he's been called back up. Obviously, like a baby. <laughs> you know, sample, zygote yeah. <laughs> sample. Um, but it's what we have. And I think it's always important to, when you are taking these baby samples, applying them to differences in, in approach or, or process. And that's what we're doing. 
So I'm encouraged, uh, very like hesitantly. Yeah, cautiously um, optimistic day, is what it sounds like. Right, right. But at the end of the day, you know, Kelnick plays a good corner outfield. He can run. He plays, you know, with a lot of uh, passion. Um, I think he just, I think a lot of it, honestly, is just be more, you know, uh, protect the plate and two strike counts because mm-hmm. he he takes a lot of I don't have the numbers but I I bet he a lot of his strikeouts are disproportionately uh, called strikes. The so, other the other thing about yeah. small samples, Mikey, is that uh, that's all the playoffs is. So you like we don't have to look at a Kelnick small sample and be like, well, that's who he is for his career. That's going to sustain. He's right. just got to sustain it for this weekend, and then you're good to go. Then you can revisit it uh, <laughs> next series. So um, before we take a break here, I want to look at kind of the the rest of the bottom of Seattle's order because I think their top. Their top four are pretty known commodities. I, I think a lot of people know um, J.P. Crawford and Adam Frazier as well, uh, but this team has been thinned out a little bit. You mentioned they dealt with injuries this year. Uh, I think probably the best way to contextualize that, and I hate to do this because he's Canadian, uh, Abraham Toro has had over 350 plate appearances for this team this year. I don't think that was the plan uh, on paper for them. Um, so Winker goes on the IL right before the postseason, uh, Tom Murphy and Sam Haggerty remain on the IL as well. So um, you mentioned Taylor Trammell is, is back up. Dylan Moore has emerged as a pretty nice, if not platoon piece, then, then maybe a guy who has a case for everyday playing time. Um, although the Jays don't have any left-handed pitchers, so I don't know where Dylan Moore uh, gets a spot there. But um, I, I guess the way when you compare the Mariners and the Blue Jays in each kind of subcategory, the area where it seems like the Jays have the biggest edge is that back half of the batting order where the Jays go 10 or 11 deep with guys who are league average hitters are better. Um, not a lot of extreme platoon splits in there. Um, how do you feel about Seattle's ability? You know, once you get past an, an Eugenio Suarez in the order um, to keep things moving and to give some kind of secondary run support. Like I'm so scared. Oh, good. <laughs> it's, good. <laughs> it's it's I mean, because that's that's the thing is, you know, a lot of their a lot of the back half is, you know, they are propped up very much by uh, who they're facing. So like Jared Kelnick, even you don't you don't necessarily and, and you know, you all don't have many lefties, but you don't want him facing a lefty. Um, and I think one thing like in some ways I'm like, oh, this is good, like because some role players like. Kelnick, you know, they will be able to see a, a lot of righties. But then there's also, you know, when you look at Terenz, uh, more, you know, uh, they're not very good against lefties. And those are, go- and, and the same thing, you know, I think with Haggerty. Um, so a lot of the back half is going to struggle a lot. And Eugenio Suarez, he's, he's, in, like maybe the best left uh, hitter against lefties in MLB. I don't know if that's true, but he's up there. I it's know that there, his, yeah. his Woba is like in the 400s. Um, at least last time I checked. Uh, against righties, he's just above average. So there's also that, you know, they're, you're kind of removing like the, the arguably the best hitter out of the lineup in that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty worried about, about the, the bottom half. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not great. 
Carlos Santana, another guy who's hit lefties much better than righties this year, in part because when he's facing a righty, um, he gets shifted more than almost anyone in baseball and Mm -hmm. hasn't shown the ability from the left side to hit around it. Um, Mikey, we're going to take a break. Uh, Before we do, a couple tiny updates from down at uh, Blue Jays workout day at Rogers Center. They're non-updates, basically, but Ross Atkins was speaking to media. Still no determination on Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Santiago Espinal. Uh, How their workouts go today will determine Determine if they're a part of the 26-man wildcard roster tomorrow. Kevin Gosman mm. is throwing a bullpen today. The team is not expecting him to be limited by that cut on his finger he was dealing with last start, but they haven't made a determination yet if he'll Ooh. start game two or game three. Uh, they're going to see how he responds to a bullpen today. We're going to take a break. That was the hitting side of things. When we come back, Mikey, we'll get into the pitchers. We'll get into Castillo against Manoa. We'll get into Ray Kirby or Gilbert. Pick two for games two and three. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about Kevin Gosman. All that's next as Mikey Ahedo of Baseball prospectus and never sunny in seattle stays with us on jay's talk plus on sports at 590 the fan discussing the biggest stories that matter to toronto sports fans the fan morning show with alish forfar and justin cuthbert subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy with you pretty much all day. Jay's Talk Plus, two to five today. Uh, we'll also be down at the Dome ahead of game one tomorrow. We'll be with you from 12 to two. Um, we'll be with you from two to four on Saturday, and then we'll see Sunday's game, uh, what time it is, if it's even necessary. Uh, ben Wagner will have the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He'll be with Ben Nicholson-Smith for game one. Arden's Welling for game two. Um, that decision has been made already. A decision that has not been made is who starts game two for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, John Schneider, Ross Atkins, a few others uh, speaking throughout the day today. We'll play you some audio from that uh, a little bit later. Uh, no major updates yet, though. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Santiago Espinal, uh, they took batting practice against Julian Merriweather and Matt Gage yesterday, uh, which is kind of cool. Arden Zwelling providing that note for us, uh, but they are still seeing how they get through workouts today and testing their readiness there. Um, we are trying to get our own readiness up to par for this Jays Mariner series. We're joined still by Mikey Ahedo of Baseball Perspectives and Never Sunny in Seattle. Mikey, we have question marks here in Toronto about who starts game two and who starts game three, although that's mostly just about in what order. In Seattle, we know Luis Castillo will start game one. The presumption is Robbie Ray will start one of those, but George Kirby and Logan Gilbert have arguably had better seasons than Robbie Ray. How would you line up the Mariners rotation for this series? First of all, I want to say, I want to give a hug to whoever chose to play Cuddy out of the break. That was me. Um, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> um, I go, I start with Castillo. Um, and I think the Mariners start with Castillo too. I then go Gilbert and then Kirby. Hmm. The Mariners, I think, go Castillo, Ray, Gilbert. So I think, I think the the two of us uh, are in agreement that you know you go Gilbert over Kirby, but I think that they go and and of course, like I want to say that I think that's without context that I do that because right. I think it's tough to go into the clubhouse and be like Robbie, 
we just gave you 115 mil. Uh, you're going to be out of the pen. Um, like, you know, there's, there's power dynamics and, and I don't think that I, I yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, to work around those, but, and, and he hasn't um, been bad. He has a 371 ERA. He obviously strikes right. out a lot of guys. He's Robbie Ray, but he is home run prone and he's coming into mm-hmm. Rogers center against a team that can hit some home runs in a park. That's much friendlier than T-Mobile park. So I, I think your, your hesitations are, are reasonable. And you know, like when you're facing, you know, Vladdy and Bichette, like I want righties facing them. And the three guys that I picked are righties. So I think that that is maybe good framing. I also kind of wonder, like, if you piggyback Ray off of, I don't know, Kirby, like that, that's a, that's a pretty good, you know, I don't know how many innings, eight, nine, whatever. Um, And they're opposite handed. So you're, you know, you're flipping the, uh, you know, the lineup, um, which, you know, the Jays are, are, are better set, I think, to, to make some substitutions. But um, I think that could be pretty good. And you can tell Robbie Ray, you know, you don't have to go six innings. Now, he, so did, do, he did do that in 2020 with the Jays. He pitched innings four through six. Uh, in a 3-1 loss to, to Tampa Bay in game one of the 2020 wild card, um, gave up one run over three innings. So it's not like he hasn't done it before. Um, but you mentioned the power dynamics, and, and I think that's a, you know, that's a realistic thing. Um, when it comes to Robbie Ray and the the home run issues that he has had, and Jays fans know that well, he's done a great job over the last couple of years trimming the walks as he becomes this, you know, Cy Young version of Robbie Ray. Um, but where is he susceptible? Like, let's say he pitches game two or game three. What are the Jays looking to do against the 2022 version of Robbie Ray? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've talked a lot about, I th- I don't remember which time it was the first, second time I came on, but we talked a lot about pitch tunneling. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing that he's, done is especially against the Astros they I think you know you only have two pitches to to look for at the time it's fastball slider maybe he mixes in uh one or two uh curveballs or change up but mostly two pitches so he added the two seam to run off of the four seamer now you know you have to look up you have to look down you have to look in or away depending on you know where which batter's box you're standing in um that has helped and it also has not helped (laughs) (laughs) um i think one thing about the two-seamer is like we know that robbie ray his biggest flaw is command and i think he's tightened up his control but there are times when you know i think most of the time he's trying to take that two-seamer and run it to his arm side, so towards the left-handed batter's box um, and out of the zone. Oftentimes, he'll he'll it'll leak out over the plate, uh, and that will you know he'll serve up a home run. That's trouble, uh, yeah. And so, I think one way to look at it is I look I like looking at Brooks baseball and just seeing like what percentage of pitches overall like not just batted balls but what percentage of pitches go for home runs and when you look at his sinker or his two seam 
uh, it's about one and a half percent. And generally speaking, my rule of thumb is like you want that below one, right? Uh, which is four seam is and a slider is. Um, had he not had the two seamer, I bet his four seamer is over one. But I, at the end of the day, I think you, if you're Robbie Ray, you want to throw fewer two seamers. Like you're not using that because it's a good pitch. You're using that because it's not a four seam fastball. Mm. Um, so if I'm the Jays, I'm looking fastball, four-seam fastball, and I'm reacting to the two-seam fastball. Um, the slider oftentimes, and and obviously that's easier said than done, but that's my game plan. Right. Um, the slider is often out of the zone, you know, or at the bottom, you know, at the bottom of the zone. It's going to be a tough pitch to hit. It's the hardest to hit for a home run for power. Um so I'm looking, I'm looking at both of his fastballs, but specifically the forcing fastball because it's the better of the two. And something the Jays have done fairly well as the season's gone on against fastball slider types is, well, if you're looking fastball, you're just going to be a little early on the slider. And if you have the bat-to-ball skill and you have the the nice long bat path to still get to it, you can maybe poke it the other way. And we've seen a couple Jays improve in terms of uh, their ability to use the whole field. So um, that is the Robbie Ray concern. Kirby and Gilbert are, are fun. Um, we're going to see one of those guys and it's going to be, well, maybe we'll see one of those guys. It could be a two game series where we're not sure. Um, the Castillo Manoa game one matchup though. That's the only matchup that's locked in. Luis Castillo, a great trade deadline addition. He he's been excellent for the Mariners. They reward him with a contract extension, but he has sputtered a little bit of late. You know, three of his last five starts have been on the shakier side by his standards. Whereas Alec Manoa just turned in one of the best Septembers we've ever seen. Um, where where do you give the edge in that matchup, or is that as close to a, a draw as you know game one starters can be? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I do think it's pretty close. And I, I, I think it's a fascinating matchup because when you look at both of them, like they're both, Manoa's obviously shown a skill of, I think because he has, you know, that sweeper, uh, that's one of the hardest pitches to to do something with in baseball if you're a hitter. Um, it moves so much and it's just such a... a, a Incongruent, you know, when 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 you see it come out of the pitcher's hand, it, it does a lot of things that you wouldn't expect it to. Um, and Castillo's obviously shown that over the past several years, and obviously he's changed in the past two specifically. Um, oftentimes, I think about, um, I think, I, I think you've had, I don't know if you've had Robert Orr on from yeah. from Baseball Prospectus, yeah. Um, a lot of the time, I think what is helpful is, is matching, you know, bat path or something like VBA, uh, vertical bat angle to vertical approach angle. Um, and that oftentimes will tell you, like, what guys match up well against, you know, different different hitters. So, mm-hmm. like, Cal Raleigh um, has a really steep VBA, uh, which means, you know, his, 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 uh, his bat is at like a 45 degree angle to the ground oftentimes. Hmm. Um, and so Cal Raleigh wants to hit pitches at the bottom of the zone. You saw him walk off on a pitch <laughs> at the bottom of the zone. Sure did. Uh, if, if you want to beat Cal Raleigh, you throw fastballs to the top of the zone. Um, so I tend to think that 
the so the Blue Jays, I think, are a very good fastball hitting team. Um, I think the Mariners probably want more sinker breaking ball guys, and they want to get their bats on the ball. Um, so I kind of think that I would give Castillo the edge based on matchups. Um, Hang up on in him. A vacuum. Hang up on him. He picked Castillo <laughs> over Manoa. <laughs> Um, in a vacuum, I honestly, I think it's, it's, a it's kind of a push. I, mm-hmm. I, I do think I would give Castillo based on <laughs> veteranship experience, uh, track record, you know, and just because he's been about, I don't actually have their numbers, um, up against each other right now, but I, I presume, uh, they've been pretty even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Manoa, a little bit of an edge in ERA, Castillo uh, in some of the the underlying stuff. Um, So those are the starters. Now, the bullpen is where in the playoffs it feels like it takes on even greater importance. And and it's one of the Mariners' biggest strengths. Um, Seattle was about a half run better in bullpen ERA than the Blue Jays uh, and about three quarters of a strikeout per nine better. So um, more ability to miss bats. Um, Since the trade deadline, Seattle was actually second in swinging strike rate as far as bullpens are concerned while the, while the Jays came in around average. Now the Jays are going to be pretty confident with Jordan Romano at the at the back end, Jimmy Garcia and Anthony Bass for tougher right-handed parts, Tim Mesa in there, and then a bunch of guys they're comfortable with in the sixth and seventh. Uh, Los Bomberos, though, Paul Seawald, who I know is your guy, um, has really oh established himself back there. Andres Munoz has one of the best sliders in all of baseball. And and then there is some depth there. And and the one thing you'd be worried about with the Mariners bullpen is the lack of lefties where Ryan Barucki is on the IL and Matt Boyd is Matt Boyd. Um, But you don't really need those kind of tough lefties against this Blue Jays team, because if any lefties start, they're going to be down in the order anyway. And they're not the kind of guys, you know, you'd rather a righty deal to those guys than your lefty have to deal with the top of the order that's coming up. So um, when you look at this Mariners bullpen, which I assume is also going to have Marco Gonzalez and Chris Flexen available if needed. Um, Where's your confidence level in Seattle's bullpen relative to Toronto's bullpen? I I mean, I I definitely, I think looking at swinging strike rate and is judicious. And I I think that um, I pulled up a, a query of like, you know, strikeout rate minus walk rate. That's a really, that's a really like stable trait. That's a really, mm-hmm that becomes more reliable quicker. Um, and it's a skill, you know, it's a skill to strike guys out and it's a skill to, to not walk guys so much. Um, I think the Mariners have, have several, you know, for y'all it's, it's basically Romano. Whereas for the Mariners, I think it's, it's really like Munoz and, and Eric Swanson have been so devastating this year. Um, and, and Swanson is, it might be one of the more, you know, underrated relievers in, all of them will be um, like Paul Seawald. When you just look at war, you know, he ranks fifth in the bullpen, hmm. which I think, you know, goes to show how, how deep they are. Um, and also Matt Brash has yet to give up a home run <laughs> uh, as a reliever. That is wild. Well, can um, I, can I break something to you though? Let's hear it. Matt Brash from Kingston, Ontario. He's a sleeper agent. 
that stat is fake. He's going. We're going to activate him as uh, him and Abraham Toro are ready to go. This is why we've been trying to grow Canadian baseball. Um, we will activate oh, no. Matt Brash at some point in this series. Don't take Toro. No, um, man, uh, this this should be a lot of fun. There are a couple Canadians on Seattle, and obviously a lot of really enjoyable guys like Julio Rodriguez and Luis Castillo. Uh, this series shaping up to be a lot of fun. Mikey, before we let you go, quickly, what's your prediction? Oh, boy. Come on. You knew I was going to ask. Yeah, I know. Let's okay. I'm I'm going to be strong willed and say I think that the Mariners take it in game three. Uh, Yeah. All right. Hang up on him again. This uh, (laughs) doesn't know the audience. Uh, No, we are going to let you go, though, Mikey. Um, Thanks so much for taking all this time with us. Really appreciate it. And again, people can check your stuff out at Baseball Prospectus, at Never Sunny Sunny in Seattle, uh, at underscore Kuya Mikey on Twitter. Really appreciate it, man. Enjoy the heck out of this series. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Go Mariners. <laughs> Mikey Ahedo, never coming back on the show again after all that stuff. Uh, we, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, we can boo this man. By the way, uh, looked at some projections. So that was Mikey's opinion, Mariners in, in three. That is the third most likely outcome based on fan graphs and how they project this series. Um, the likeliest outcome, and I use likeliest as a relative term only because it's not a super likely thing. Uh, this series breaks down pretty evenly analytically, but uh, Fangraphs has the Jays winning the series 54.2% of the time. And Jays sweeping is actually the likeliest single outcome uh, that's followed by Jays in three Mariners in three, and then Mariners sweeping is the least likely of the outcomes. We'll get into some more of that stuff. The the projections from here um, in our next hour, we've got JD Bunkus coming on. We'll, we'll weave in some series prices and, and predictions and things like that throughout that era. Right now though, I want to play you a little bit of audio from down at Rogers center. It is workout day. Ross Atkins, John Schneider, Alec Manoa, and others have been speaking to the media. Um, the, Biggest thing we're going to talk about over the course of the show is that decision for game two and who's going to start there. But first, Ross Atkins showing a little excitement uh, as it comes to baseball returning to Rogers Center and Alec Manoa getting the ball in game one. So here are those two clips uh, from Ross Atkins from earlier today at Rogers Center. It's such an incredible experience here. I think, you know, playing for a country in this remarkable city with so much energy. Um, it, it is such an incredible experience regardless. I think on top of that, what makes it so much uh, more special and so exciting for this organization is the fact that we haven't been here for a couple of years. Uh, what that means for our players, but even more importantly, what that means for the fan base is, um, you know, it, it, it's not, listen, we're, we're very fortunate as working in professional sports, working in entertainment, that we were able to have that outlet over the last couple of years and to be able to compete and to be able to play. Um, but now for the fans to be able, be able to experience that is going to be remarkable. And, and all of us, you know, it, it's palpable in the clubhouse how excited we are. Yeah, I mean, Alec has been really nothing short of remarkable. Um, the, the competitiveness and the teammate that he's been and the impact he has just being in our clubhouse. I, you, you and I have talked about it before, Buck, but I, I haven't been around a pitcher like him that 
um, you know, on a very big stage at such a high level of competition when you only get to do it one out of every five days, how much joy he takes into the start and how much he embraces that competition. And that's not taking anything away from the greats that have done it before him. He does it in a unique way that I think is great for our environment and our clubhouse and fits us well. As the workload, as it relates to the workload, he's put himself in a position that um, has not caused us to have concern. And he's done that by being consistent with his routine for the entire year from the start of spring training and, and building off of last year. And it does, uh, I think, we've learned a great deal uh, from the power of that and what that could mean for Ricky Tiedemann and others and Sim Roberts as we uh, try to get them to the major leagues as quick as we can safely do that. Well, we'll see if you can do that with Ricky Tiedemann and Sam Roberta because I don't know that we use the term jokingly a lot that guys are built different or, or something like that. Uh, Alec Manoa is certainly that. And I mean that physically for one thing in terms of handling the workload, but also mentally, um, as he said, and we'll play some Alec Manoa audio a little later in the show as well. Um, but speaking down at Rogers Center today, him saying uh, that pressure is something you put in your tires. So he's clearly not feeling it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. Manoa also saying he has so many friends and family coming to the games that he's basically paying for, playing for free the whole next month because all his money is going to uh, extra tickets uh, for people. He also uh, had a little FaceTime with his mom this morning, which is, uh, which is nice. Um, Derek Brandeo, our board op behind the glass asked me to go back and look at where Manoa was on like prospect rankings and stuff like that, because it is pretty remarkable that this guy didn't come out of nowhere last year, but he was heading into 2020, just the number 83 ranked prospect by baseball perspectives. The other sites didn't have him ranked in the top 100. He wasn't a top 100 guy coming into 2021. And here we are, He's one and three quarters seasons into his career and he's starting game one. And as we're going to talk to you, J.D. Bunkus about after the break here, hard to remember the last time you would have been this confident. Well, partially because the Jays have only made the playoffs a couple of times in the last couple of decades, but the confidence level in Alec Manoa for game one through the roof. We're going to take a break. J.D. Bunkus joins us next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan.